This is VOA News via remote. I'm Marissa Melton. The Pentagon has rejected NATO members providing fighter jets to Ukraine. AP correspondent Mike Gracia reports. The Pentagon has rejected a proposal from Poland to provide NIG fighter jets to Ukraine. We do not support the transfer of additional fighter aircraft to the Ukrainian Air Force at this time. Pentagon spokesman John Kirby. Poland made the surprise offer Tuesday to deliver its MiG-29 fighter jets to NATO, which could then be transferred to Ukraine. But at the Pentagon, Kirby told reporters, The intelligence community has assessed that the transfer of MiG-29s to Ukraine may be mistaken as escalatory. House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy voiced support for the MiG fighter jets transfer earlier. I don't understand if you can supply them with a javelin and Poland wants to give them MiGs, and they want to defend themselves. Why won't you allow somebody to defend themselves? Mike Gracia, Washington. The U.S. has condemned reports that a Russian airstrike destroyed a maternity hospital in the Ukrainian city of Mariupol on, on Wednesday. Also Wednesday, uh, the U.S. military officials turned down that po- Polish proposal to transfer Russian-made jets to a U.S. airbase and then on to Ukraine. The attack on the hospital led Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky to call on NATO again to impose a no-fly zone in Ukraine. The U.S. has resisted that call, noting that a no-fly zone requires enforcement, which would effectively draw the U.S. into a direct confrontation with Russia. On Wednesday, Zelensky tweeted what appeared to be footage of a birthing center, its walls painted in cheerful shades of green and yellow. The room was reduced to shattered windows, splintered doors, and hastily abandoned machinery. From Washington, you're listening to VOA News. Diplomats say parties trying to revive the Iran nuclear deal scrambled on Wednesday to resolve last-minute Russian demands that threatened to halt the negotiations while the United States appeared unwilling to engage with Russia on the, the matter. The Pentagon has rejected a proposal for... Western powers on Tuesday warned Russia against wrecking an almost completed deal on bringing the United States and Iran back into compliance with the 2015 nuclear accord. Iran's top negotiator returned to Vienna on Wednesday after consultations in Tehran. Eleven months of talks to restore the deal have reached the final stages with several diplomats saying the nuclear deal was now broadly agreed upon. The deal is meant to lift sanctions on Iran in return for curbs on its nuclear program. Just as the final issues were being resolved, however, Russia presented a new obstacle. It demanded written guarantees from the United States that Western sanctions targeting Moscow over its invasion of Ukraine would not affect its trade with Iran. A risk management firm is out with their assessment of how Minneapolis agencies responded to the George Floyd protests. AP's Jennifer King has more. The report released by Hilliard Heights praised Minneapolis's emergency operations plan, but paints a picture of miscommunication and a lack of planning from the mayor's office that left city fire police and other agencies with limited guidance as they responded to protests following the police killing of George Floyd in May of 2020. In a statement, Mayor Jacob Frey says he's asked city staff to create a plan to implement roughly two dozen recommendations. Suggested changes include improvement in communications among city employees, more police training on crowd control tactics and an upgrade to employees wellness programs. I'm Jennifer King.
The World Health Organization on Wednesday expressed concern that many countries are ra drastically reducing COVID-19 testing. It says that inhibits the ability of public health professionals to monitor where the coronavirus is, how it's spreading, and how it's evolving. During a briefing Wednesday, WHO Director General Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus said that while cases and deaths are declining globally and many countries have lifted restrictions, the pandemic is far from over. He said it will not be over anywhere until it's over everywhere. Regarding Ukraine, Tedros said the WHO has so far delivered 81 tons of supplies to the country and is establishing a pipeline of supplies for health facilities throughout Ukraine especially in areas most affected by the violence. Tedros said the WHO continues to call on the Russian Federation to commit to a peaceful resolution to this crisis and to allow safe, unimpeded access to humanitarian assistance for those in need. Marissa Melton, VOA News. Today is Thursday, March 10th, and this is VOA's International Edition. I am Chinedua for in Washington. Coming up in the next half hour, the U.S. delivers more anti-aircraft missiles to Ukraine to protect its skies from Russian fighter jets. There are things that the U.S. are providing. Stingers, for one. These are anti-aircraft missiles, systems that can shoot down Russian aircraft. Russia's foreign minister arrives in Turkey ahead of Thursday's meeting with his Ukrainian counterpart, as fighting rages in Kyiv. Turkey's resort city of Antalya will be the venue Thursday for the first meeting between Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov and his Ukrainian counterpart Dmitry Kulabai. And the FBI doubles the number of domestic terrorism investigations during the past 18 months. We'll have these stories and more next on International Edition. Stay tuned. The United States is delivering additional anti-aircraft missiles to help Ukraine protect its airspace and counter a Russian bombing blitz of key facilities. This as its forces seek to seize the capital city of Kyiv and overcome Ukraine resistance. The move comes as Washington turned down an offer from Poland to send its MiG jet fighters to Kyiv with American support. Pentagon spokesman John Kirby in a statement said the prospects of the jets departing from a U.S. and NATO base in Germany to, quote, fly into airspace that is contested with Russia over Ukraine, raises serious concerns for the entire NATO alliance, unquote. For more, I spoke with VOA's Pentagon correspondent, Carla Bob. Pentagon Press Secretary John Kirby said the U.S. doesn't think that additional aircraft, fighter jets, is the most effective solution, but there are things that the U.S. are providing. Stingers, for one. These are anti-aircraft missiles, systems that can shoot down Russian aircraft. The U.S. has sent those. The U.S. has sent javelins, which are those anti-tank weapons. And we just heard that the U.K. is going to be providing surface-to-air defense systems to Ukraine as well. Their Star Street defense systems are going to be going into Ukraine. So from the U.S. perspective, that is the most effective way to help Ukraine because 
I was talking to officials here, and they just couldn't wrap their head around what the Poles wanted to do. I mean, the Poles wanted to take aircraft that was right next to Ukraine, fly it to Ramstein Air Base, which is a U.S. and NATO base in Germany, which is the opposite direction of Ukraine, and then have U.S. pilots, presumably, fly it into Ukraine. And so that just didn't make a lot of sense from the U.S. perspective. In fact, John Kirby said to reporters today, he said, the U.S. needs to be careful about every decision that it makes because it doesn't want to make the potential for escalation worse. Because while things are really bad in Ukraine, they're horrible in Ukraine right now, if this war escalates and starts involving other countries, like if Russia ends up going to war with the United States or NATO because of some escalatory measures that have happened, then the situation is much worse for the world and for the Ukrainians that are involved in this fight right now. From the Pentagon's perspective and assessment, who controls Ukraine airspace? A few days ago, there are reports that it's been contested. Has the Russians taken over superiority in the air over Ukraine? No, the Russians do not have air superiority. That is key. That is one thing that the Pentagon has pointed to the Ukrainians successfully using what they have to prevent Russians who, in theory, are a much greater air force, which have a lot larger amounts of air power. The Ukrainians have prevented them from controlling the airspace. How is the Pentagon reacting to the reported shelling? of hospitals and maternity clinics in Ukraine. We reporters were asking John Kirby about that, and he says the situation is horrible. It's horrible to watch. I actually asked him about the shelling of humanitarian corridors. And I said, does the Pentagon think that it's a war crime to establish a humanitarian corridor and then bomb it? And he said, we're not going to go into the specific legal details, But doing that is absolutely wrong. He says that should not happen. The shelling should stop. And he said, in fact, this war should not even be happening to begin with. And I'll tell you, it's really hard to watch some of the footage coming out and press the Pentagon on what more can be done, all the while knowing that the Pentagon is always having to balance how it can help Ukraine with how not to escalate this war further. That's VOS Carla Bob speaking with me from the Pentagon. Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov is in Turkey ahead of Thursday's meeting with his Ukrainian counterpart at a Turkish resort. Ankara, which has close ties with Moscow and Kyiv, has been seeking to mediate since Russia invaded Ukraine. Dorian Jones reports from Istanbul. Turkey's resort city of Antalya will be the venue Thursday for the first meeting between Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov and his Ukrainian counterpart Dmitry Kulabai since Russia invaded Ukraine. Hosting the meeting is Turkish Foreign Minister Mevlut Çavuşoğlu. Senior Turkish presidential adviser Ilno Çevik says the fact the meeting is happening is a success in itself. The fact that the Russians and the Ukrainians have agreed to come to Antalya is quite an important achievement for Turkey. They recognize Turkey as an honest broker, it seems. So we're very happy about that. We don't know where it will take us, but the fact that it's happening is very, very significant. Russia and Ukraine have been holding talks, but the meeting in Antalya will be the highest level Russian-Ukrainian encounter since hostilities erupted. While Ankara has supplied Turkish-made drones and other military hardware to Ukraine, it has also opposed international sanctions on Russia. International relations professor Mustafa Aydin of Istanbul's Kardahas University says Turkey is well-placed to mediate. 
Turkey is in a good place actually to mediate. Turkey has developed a quite close relationship with Russia in different um, localities and neighborhoods of Turkey. Ukraine has always been, since its independence, one of Turkey's closer, uh, let's say, friends and allies. Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan, who enjoys good relations with both the Ukrainian and Russian presidents, has been seeking to mediate the conflict. While Kiev welcomed such efforts, Moscow had rejected such moves. But Ankara's apparent diplomatic breakthrough coincides with Israeli Prime Minister Naftali Bennett's diplomatic efforts to end the war. Columnist Selim Nasi of Shalom newspaper says such mediation efforts come at an opportune time for Turkey and Israel. We know that both uh, countries' leaders have been engaged in diplomacy, uh, diplomatic efforts to broker a ceasefire between Ukraine and Russia. If they can pull it off, if there is an agreement, if there is a deal, it will not only be a tremendous success for the Ankara Diplomacy Forum, but it will also be a good start, good kickoff for Turkish-Israeli reconciliation. Israeli President Isaac Herzog visited Ankara Wednesday as part of reconciliation efforts between the countries. Analysts point out that while Turkey and Israel have many differences, mediation efforts over the Ukrainian conflict underscore they also share common interests. Doreen Jones of VOA News, Istanbul. The United Nations Refugee Agency says more than 1.2 million Ukrainian refugees have fled to Poland since the Russian invasion began. VOA's Celia Mendoza spoke with some refugees who had arrived in Krakow and with volunteers who were there to help them. Thousands of Ukrainian refugees continue to arrive at the Krakow Central Railway Station. We come from Kharkiv, Ukraine. People have been living in complete hell for two weeks. It's hell. Alexandra and her family fled after the shelling began. Her journey to Poland lasted 31 hours. She worries about what comes next and those who stayed behind. My relatives stayed in Ukraine. Grandmothers, grandfathers can go anywhere. It is very scary to live under fire. People are without water. It is a dire situation that has forced more than 2 million Ukrainians to leave their country, according to the United Nations. And the number continues to grow. Volunteers like Albert Riera hear their stories every day. People tell you that their house no longer exists or they don't know. I was accompanying a lady and I asked her, where is your luggage? And she told me, no, no, it's just that I don't have luggage. Many Ukrainians at the Krakow Central Railway Station have few belongings. They pray for an end to the war. Volunteers help with basics, food, water and directions. I think it's about being human. I'm lucky enough to speak a little Polish and know the city, and it's a matter of wanting to help. Local authorities are also giving Ukrainian refugees phone cards so they can connect to the Internet and make calls. An assistance center helps women and children with temporary accommodations. Ina is traveling with her two dogs, husband and 13-year-old daughter. BOA News asked why she fled. The answer was too difficult to express. The government of Poland says it will be opening more reception centers around the country. But for now, authorities at this local railroad station 
say they are quickly running out of space. Celia Mendoza, VOA News, Krakow, Poland. The FBI says it has doubled the number of domestic terrorism investigations during the past 18 months. Viewers Jessica Stone spoke to counterterrorism experts who are bringing techniques previously employed overseas to combat a growing problem inside the United States. Teaching young people in Abiy and Yemen to build walls has also built their sense of identity and community, says Lou Jane Kiki, a program officer with the International Center for Religion and Diplomacy, or ICRD. So we use this strategy to increase the resilience toward violent extremism, especially in communities with vulnerable youth. Two-thirds of the youth surveyed in Avian told ICRD the program makes them less likely to join an armed group. A key feature of ICRD's approach is partnering with religious leaders to root out violent extremist ideology before it starts. Religious leaders, if, if they have the capacity and awareness and the deep connections with their constituencies, they can detect early warning signs of uh, radicalization. Now ICRD is bringing the same strategy to houses of worship in eight U.S. cities. James Patton is ICRD's president. It's very important to identify messengers, key messengers, who are seen as having authority and legitimacy, but then they can push back using doctrinal arguments and values-based arguments from their faith tradition uh, to, to work against the use of violence to solve differences. Patton says this approach is particularly critical as some right-wing activists use their Christian faith to justify violence as they did during the Capitol Hill riots last January. Experts say the phenomenon is known as Christian nationalism and can mix with white supremacist beliefs like those of the Proud Boys. The goal for these groups is to keep the U.S. a, quote, white Christian nation. The FBI's Timothy Langan. We assess that racially or ethnically motivated violent extremists advocating for the superiority of the white race and anti-authority or anti-government violent extremists, specifically militia violent extremists, present the most lethal threats. Counterterrorism expert Vidya Ramalingam argues that violent extremist ideologies share the same roots. What it oftentimes comes down to is a need for belonging, a desire to be a part of something that's greater than oneself. Ramalingam leads the Moonshot team, a technology startup which redirects those searching for online extremist information towards resources to gain employment and community. We don't need separate mechanisms to fight jihadism. We don't need separate mechanisms to fight neo-Nazism. Ultimately, what we need here are very similar interventions. And ICRD's James Patton says results will be clear. The greatest measure of success for me would be to start seeing some nuanced arguments within identity groups where people say, you know what, just because I believe X doesn't mean I have to advocate for Y. Both Ramalingam and Patton say it's time for the de-radicalization methods that have worked elsewhere to be deployed inside the United States. Jessica Stone, VOA News, Washington. Armed men in northwest Nigeria have reportedly killed 19 security personnel in an attack late Tuesday. The violence took place barely 24 hours after scores of local vigilante were ambushed and killed in the region. Timothy Obiezu reports from Abuja. Kebi state military and police authorities are yet to issue a statement on the attack and have not responded to calls for comment. But local residents say the attack took place late Tuesday in Kenya village of Kebi state, northwestern Nigeria, after an unknown number of armed men opened fire on military and police patrol teams killing 13 soldiers, five policemen, and one vigilante. 
They also said the battle lasted for at least three hours. A security source told the French news agency AFP anonymously that eight other security personnel, including four soldiers, were wounded. So far, local residents are fleeing the area, including Bashar Daji's father and brothers. The attack came barely 24 hours after about 67 local vigilante members were gunned down by bandits in the area, the most fatal attack in the state this year. Local residents believe the same bandits are responsible for the attack on the personnel. Since late 2020, there have been a series of bandit attacks, including kidnapping and killing civilians and security personnel in northwestern Nigeria. They also loot and steal cattle. Timothy Obiezu for VOA News, Abuja, Nigeria. In other news, a Maryland hospital says the first person to receive a heart transplant from a pig has died. The University of Maryland Medical Center announced that a 57-year-old man died Tuesday, two months after the groundbreaking experiment. Doctors for decades have sought to use animal organs for life-saving transplants. David Bennett was the candidate for the dramatic attempt only because he was dying and wasn't eligible for a human heart transplant. Prior attempts at such transplants have failed largely because patient bodies rapidly rejected the animal organ. This time, the Maryland soldiers used the heart from a gene-edited pig to help prevent rejection. For more on this story and other breaking news, visit our website at vonews.com. Remember to connect with us on social media. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Search for VOA Africa. You are listening to VOA's International Edition. I am Chinedua for in Washington. A panel of UN investigators report Syria is facing an economic and humanitarian disaster that is likely to worsen as the impact of the war in Ukraine and sanctions against Russia set in. Lisa Schlein reports for VOA from Geneva. The UN Syria Commission of Inquiry has been monitoring the human rights situation in Syria since conflict broke out there more than 10 years ago. In its latest report, the three-member commission describes conditions as having reached new levels of hardship. It says 90% of the population has been plunged into poverty and depends on humanitarian aid. Commission member Hani Megali says the world seems to believe the conflict in Syria is winding down. On the contrary, he says, the war actually is on the uptick. In the northwest, we're seeing increased shelling uh, and aerial bombardments from, from the Syrian state uh, and the Russian Federation and shelling from, uh, from the ground, including you know, use of indiscriminate weapons, but also targeted, targeted rockets, including now we're seeing the introduction of the Krasnopol rocket into this area. The report finds civilians are being targeted and killed by this sophisticated Soviet-style precision-guided artillery weapons system. It says civilians across the country are being subjected to targeted killings, unlawful detention, and torture. Megali says the commission worries about the possibility of this conduct being replicated in Ukraine. With indiscriminate attacks on civilians and targeted attacks on medical facilities, the disregard for civilian casualties is one of our biggest concerns in Syria, and I would hope, you know, that's not being repeated in, in the Ukraine. Commission Chair Paolo Pinero says he and his colleagues also worry about the negative consequences of the Ukraine crisis in Syria. 
Inflation is already skyrocketing, and the government has begun rationing essential commodities, including fuel. Prices of imports have shot up, and we should remember that most of Syria wheat import comes precisely from Ukraine and Russia. The report says 10 years of devastating warfare has killed hundreds of thousands of people and displaced half of the pre-war population. It says more than 100,000 people are missing or forcibly disappeared. The commissioners say the Syrian people have seen their country destroyed and cannot take much more of this. While all eyes are on the tragedy unfolding in Ukraine, they say attention also must be paid to the Syrians, whose plight must not be ignored. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. Ahead of what tuberculosis day, March 24th, the Global Fund to Fight AIDS, Tuberculosis and Malaria is calling on governments to renew the fight against the respiratory illness, which kills over 1 million people each year. In South Africa, a hotspot for TB, a movie screening team is trying to make up for disruptions caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. Linda Giftash reports from Johannesburg. Despite being treatable and preventable, tuberculosis is a leading killer in South Africa. Testing for TB treatment has dropped dramatically during the coronavirus pandemic with deadly consequences. Latoya Weiser's 32-year-old partner is among the fatalities. His tongue, he was only saying that he's feeling bad. He didn't even taste the food. It's whereby I ask him, let's go to the clinic and test. It's whereby we find out that he's positive. Although Weiser's partner was in treatment for two months, he succumbed to DB last August. Testing did ensure their infant son was put on preventative treatment. Both Weiser and the baby remain healthy, but she struggles with her loss. I did wish, because if maybe we did find out sooner, maybe he would have still been alive. Her experience is not unique. An estimated 1.8 billion people globally are infected with TB bacteria, disproportionately affecting those in poorer nations. Of those infected, roughly 10 million people get sick every year. The Global Fund says development of new TB treatments has long stagnated, and the onset of the coronavirus has made matters worse. Mohamed Yassin is a senior disease advisor on TB for the Global Fund. We have seen more than 20% drop in the number of people who are access diagnosis and treatment. And then the transmission will continue and that will contribute to overall TB incidence and mortality. TB mortality for the first time increased to 1.5 million from the 1.4 million in 2019. A new mobile clinic supported by the Global Fund aims to close the gap in TB testing. It's reaching people like Weiser who find it hard to get to clinics. Ashley Mbakota is a radiographer for the van-based clinic. If you don't know, like surely you can't take care, you can't take, uh, you can't protect people next to you from something that we don't know that you have, even if you're not showing any symptoms. So we just check them. After screening, uh, what we normally do, if we pick up that they have TB, we make sure that we trace the TB, like in families, friends, they all come and test. Governments are also learning from mistakes made during the coronavirus pandemic to improve treatment for illnesses that were neglected. Dr. Ben Montuetti is a district clinical manager for HIV and TB programs in South Africa. In hindsight, we should have, when we're investigating for COVID, also investigated uh, for TB. But we have realized that we we rectifying our mistakes, we are rechallenging, uh, rechanneling our efforts now to integrate 
COVID activities with uh, primary health care activities, including TB services now. To ensure efforts like this can have the greatest impact, the Global Fund is appealing to the international community for $18 billion. It says the funding will correct setbacks caused by the pandemic and move the world closer to eliminating diseases like tuberculosis. Linda Giftash for VOA News, Johannesburg. Hi, this is Rick Pantaleo. Space junk expert John Crisides of the University of Buffalo joins me for the science edition of Press Conference USA. We will discuss the growing threat of space junk to humans in space, such as those of the International Space Station, as well as operating satellites and other spacecraft. Listen this Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America. Hello, I'm Carol Castiel. Next up, the status of talks in Vienna on a nuclear deal with Iran. President Joe Biden chose to revive negotiations over the 2015 deal, which former President Donald Trump abandoned. Experts examined last-minute demands from Russia and the possibility of lifting sanctions on Iran should the West ban imports of Russian oil in response to the war in Ukraine. That's Encounter this Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America. Go beyond the daily headlines with VOA's Flashpoint Ukraine. Each weekday at 2105 UTC, join me, Steve Miller, as I put the latest developments into a global context with interviews and analysis. Listen online at voanews.com slash flashpoint or in your favorite podcast player. This has been International Edition on The Voice of America. On behalf of the entire production team, thank you so much for listening. Visit our website for in-depth coverage of world events and news 24 hours a day at voanews.com. Until next time, I am Chinedwafo in Washington, wishing you a great day. Washington, bop, 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 zip.